please turn in your Bibles to Acts 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I'm sure most of you woke to Jack Frost nipping at your nose today, but the warmth of our worship and our fellowship should really be precious today, this first Sunday of the new year. Report cards, progress reports, performance reviews. There have probably been times in our lives, we've looked forward to the report card coming, the progress report, or the performance review, but there have been other occasions when we likely were apprehensive because we weren't altogether sure what was coming was going to be that great a news. Maybe you had one of those teachers or professors in university that you knew the best that you could possibly do would probably be a C in their class. People just didn't make B's at all, it seemed, and no one made an A. And so the bar was set so high. You know, when we think about a performance review and a progress report and a report card, the one that counts the most is the one given by the Lord. We need to evaluate ourselves. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We should give the more diligence to make our calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1 and verse 10 says. And I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He begs God to search him and try him and know him and to see if there's any unclean thing in him. And to lead him in the way that leads to life everlasting. You see, not even our own personal evaluation of ourselves might be completely objective. We can guarantee this God is fair. God is righteous. God is kind. And it is his evaluation that matters the most. He will judge the world in righteousness through the one that he's ordained. Acts 17, verses 30 through 32. Jesus is the Lord, the righteous judge. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. I want you to think about this. Not only is it the Lord who gives the 
final performance review for you and me individually. But the Lord gives a performance review to the church. After all, isn't Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and the letters to the seven churches something of a performance review? It lifts up Jesus and who he is, but it looks at the people of Jesus with the judgment of Jesus. The book of Acts has a number of progress reports a number of performance reviews given by the good Lord himself to his early followers. It is something we can learn an awful lot from because in the book of Acts, there are no less than seven of these progress reports. It's not unusual to talk about how the early church grew, how it spread. It's probably very wise of us then to stop and think about what God has to say about the spread of the early church. It's his performance review that matters. And to see what we can learn at the beginning of 2022 so that we can better be like the people who received the favorable performance reviews by God himself in the book of Acts. I think we should want that individually. And I believe we should desire that congregationally. Seven of these performance reviews. Here's how we're going to approach them. I'll give you, first of all, the passage that contains God's Progress report, his report card. Secondly, we will look at the background, the background to this review, this report card. And then third, the emphasis. Are you with me? Won't be hard. The passage, the background. In other words, sometimes we got a B or C and we thought we deserved an A and the teacher gave us no explanation why we got the grade that we got. God will always let us know why he has evaluated things the way that he has. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge you in the last day. Jesus said, John 12, 48. And then the emphasis Because I believe each one of these performance reviews, these report cards, come at a key time in the book of Acts to help us learn an awful lot. To help the church of the 21st century better appreciate what it means to be the church of the 1st century in the 21st century. Turn, if you will, to the first of these progress reports. Turn to Acts 2 and verse 47. I'm going to ask different men in the congregation to read each of these seven report cards. Carl Ivanhoe, if you don't mind, brother, would you stand and read Acts 2.47, the last verse of Acts chapter 2, when you get there. Praise God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's the passage. Now the background. Obvious it ought to be. The book of Acts is a book that stresses Christ, His church, and conversion. And throughout the 28 chapters that make up Acts, you're going to see this emphasis on Christ, conversion, and His church. And it's in Acts chapter 2 that the last will and testament of Christ is proclaimed that the church becomes an earthly reality and that 3,000 souls are added to it. They are brought to Christ, converted. Notice, if you will, Peter's sermon. We've already mentioned in recent studies how full of Scripture the sermon is that roughly half of the sermon quotes from the Old Testament. So it is Scripture-saturated and God-focused. Now notice Acts 2, and notice verses 22 and 23. Because what's done in the sermon in Acts 2 is something that's very typical of the preaching done throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 22 and 23, the text basically says, you crucified Jesus. You crucified Jesus. No punches are pulled. You crucified Christ. In verses 24 through 36, the sermon really stresses the resurrection of Jesus. So here's the idea. You crucified Jesus, but God raised up Jesus. No less than seven times in the first two chapters of Acts is reference made to the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 1 and verse 3, He showed himself to be alive after his passion, after his death, by many infallible proofs. In Acts 1 and verse 22, when another apostle was to be appointed to take the place of Judas, Acts 1, 22, one of the criteria, one of the requirements was that he be a witness of the resurrection. And five times in Acts chapter 2, the apostles say we are witnesses of these events or they specifically refer to the fact Jesus was raised. Then you continue. Look at verses 36 through 41 of Acts 2. You crucified Christ, but God raised him up. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. How? Let all the house of Israel know assuredly God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter and the apostles said, Repent and be baptized. 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is possible. And Acts 2, 36 through 41 tell us how. In verses 42 through 47, catch the background in Acts 2. Forgiven people praise God and rejoice. Now there's the passage Carl read. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Would to God that were more true of congregations today. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, we've looked at the passage itself. Something of the background Here is the emphasis. The early church received such a great performance review by God in Acts 2.47 because they emphasized Christ and His resurrection. Listen to me, Waylon. There is not a book in all the New Testament that speaks of the resurrection of Jesus more than the book of Acts. It is not even close. And that makes sense, Adam. It makes sense because Acts is the follow-up volume to Luke. And Luke 24 takes us to the resurrection, through the resurrection up to the ascension, doesn't it? It's true biblically, but it's also true practically, Steve. Because we see a group of men in Acts 2 that are willing to publicly speak of Jesus and to put their life and their reputation on the line. And many did give their life for the name of Jesus. What made the difference? The resurrection of Jesus. What the world needs to see in the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ today, is that the resurrection makes all the difference. I think we talk way too much about the death of Christ compared to the resurrection of Christ. And I don't believe we ought to leave Jesus on that tomb in that tomb because the Bible doesn't. This characterized their preaching and teaching and ought to characterize ours today. No church that fails to give proper emphasis to the resurrection of Jesus and to the resurrection life He gives His people can really have the performance review, the positive report card we like. Turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This was the passage that Andrew Pafford read for us in our scripture reading, but let's have it read again 
Waylon, if you don't mind, brother, would you stand and read Acts 6 and verse 7? Here's the passage. I'll give the background and then the emphasis. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Notice the symmetry of this passage. Three parts. The word of God grew mightily. A great number of people become Christians, disciples. And a great company of the priests are obedient to the faith. Christianity, Christianity involves the word increasing and prevailing in our lives to make us disciples as we are obedient to the faith. Let the phrasing influence our interpretation. Now here's something that's interesting. Acts 6 and verse 7, when we think of the background, is an amazing passage because the devil had been at work over time from Acts 2.47 trying to thwart the people of God. Trying to thwart the saving message of Jesus and its proclamation. When you look at Acts chapters 4 and 5, the devil tries to suppress the truth through intimidation and force. Peter and John have to go before the Jewish Supreme Court and they say to them, Peter and John, don't you say another word about Jesus. They keep on talking about Jesus, as does the rest of the church. In Acts 5, men of God are brought before religious leaders again. Didn't we tell you that you're not supposed to be proclaiming this message about Jesus in his name? And they boldly respond, we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5, 29. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 40 and 41... They are beaten and released and they rejoice that they are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. What I want you to see is that from Acts 2 through Acts 3 and all the way up to this very point in chapter 6 and verse 7, there is an emphasis on the name. The name. The devil is trying to suppress the preaching of the name of Jesus through intimidation and force. Then you get to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The devil is trying to corrupt the message of Christ's name through hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, and they're lying, and they're pride. And how it would hurt them and how it could hurt the church. The devil's trying to corrupt the message of the preaching of Christ's name through the hypocrisy 
of Christians. Then you get to Acts 6. The devil's trying to corrupt the message of the proclamation of Christ's name through division, even though it was unintentional. In Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, the Grecian widows seem to be overlooked in the daily ministry. This could have caused a big problem. Imagine having a group of widows who are being overlooked in the service of the church. Maybe they didn't have enough to eat. Maybe they didn't have some of the basic necessities of life. This does not divide God's people, but it causes them to meet and do something. Would to God every business meeting of the church turned out the way it did in Acts 6. Seven men are appointed, all of whom have Greek names. And they are appointed to wait on tables. Every ministry in the body of Christ is beautiful and needed. We tend to emphasize some ministries more than others, but every ministry is beautiful and needed. Whoever turned the heat on in the church building this morning, that's a pretty good ministry. Can I get an amen? And open the doors. But notice from Acts 6, 1 through 7, another matter. The devil tried to distract the church's leaders from their primary ministry. The apostles say... Waiting on tables has its place, and it's good. But it's not what we are to be doing as the apostles. We are to give ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer. They refused to be distracted from their main purpose. Elders need to keep in mind their main purpose. The main things to keep the main thing the main thing. Exalt Jesus by shepherding souls and helping people be closer to God. Preachers need to keep the main thing the main thing. Watch and pray. Be in the Word and in prayer. Teaching and helping people to understand and apply and be saved and strengthened by the Word. The devil uses distraction even now, doesn't he? He uses division even now, doesn't he? He uses hypocrisy even now, doesn't he? He uses intimidation and force and manipulation even now, doesn't he? Now we're ready for the emphasis. If the first emphasis from Acts 2.47 was they emphasized Jesus and his resurrection and they kept that at the core of all that they were about. They emphasized Jesus and his proclamation and kept it at the core of all they were about. 
Despite what Ananias and Sapphira did, despite, despite the fact that the widows may have been overlooked, despite the fact that the apostles could have been distracted, despite the fact that the Jews initially tried to intimidate them and use force to keep the church from growing, they stress Christ and his proclamation. Number three, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts 9 and verse 31. Brother Terry, if you don't mind, when you get there, please read it. Acts 9, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. That is the passage, and it's a mind-blowing one. Each of these is. Imagine this as a report card at this point in time. They, all the churches of Judea and Samaria. Hey, Denny, it's great to see you, brother. Think about that for an unusual pairing. All the churches of Judea and Samaria. It's supposed to be a biblical pairing, Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But we know from John 4 that Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with one another. My, how things have changed because of the gospel of Christ. Some background. What has transpired? Well, think about Acts chapter 7 where we have Stephen's sermon, where basically it says God sent Moses and the Jews rejected him. God sent the prophets and you rejected him. God sent Jesus and the Jews rejected him. And what you see is an emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus in Stephen's sermon. And Jesus present at the right hand of God standing, awaiting the arrival of Stephen to glory. In Acts 8, a great persecution ensues. They go everywhere preaching the word, Acts 8, 1 through 4. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we read of the conversion of Samaritans. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we read of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 9, we read of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee who had been persecuting the church with all of his might. He becomes a Christian, and the early section of Acts 9 tells us about Paul proclaiming the gospel and some of the things he dealt with early on as a Christian, including the lack of uh, warm reception he was initially receiving by the church. 
Imagine having Saul of Tarsus become a Christian and he comes to the assembly. People kind of be wondering, wouldn't they? And Barnabas stands up for him. Now we're ready for Acts 9, 31. All the churches of Judea and Samaria had peace. Mark that word peace. Because the same proclamation of Jesus and his resurrection can give people peace where it counts the most today. And how this peace comes is developed in the middle portion of Acts 9.31 that Terry read for us. They had peace being built up walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church grew and multiplied. What's the emphasis? Listen. Because it's really important. This report card is given in my judgment to stress, to emphasize Christ and his fellowship. Christ and his fellowship. The first report card, Christ and his resurrection. The second one, Acts 6-7, Christ and his proclamation. Christ and his gospel. The third one, Christ and his fellowship. You will not find a better description of fellowship, Adam, than in Acts 9.31. What could make Jews and Samaritans one can make people of every racial background and cultural background one too. What gave the early church peace? They were one. Terry talked about in the elders' opening remarks about unity. He dealt with the Lord's Supper. He dealt with unity, understandably, from 1 Corinthians 11 and the idea of the supper. Well, how about fellowship? Fellowship is a matter of oneness. Fellowship is a matter of peace with God and one another. Fellowship comes by walking in the fear and reverence and respect of God. Fellowship comes by our having the comfort of the Spirit and His message within us. The early church gave a great emphasis to fellowship, to loving each other even as Christ loved us. John 13, 34, and 35. To loving one another with a pure heart fervently, 1 Peter 1, 22. A few days ago, a dear sister passed away halfway across the world. 
her name Gay Kyle. I got to be in their home many times. And I can't think about Gay without thinking about her Kiwi accent and her getting a little bit perturbed by her husband Rod and her crying out, Rod! To know Rod, as many of us have for many years, we know he had a heart for missions. He has a heart for missions. And she was willing to make the sacrifice for her husband to often be gone so that souls could be brought closer to Jesus. We've mentioned her many times over the years as she dealt with Huntington's disease a terminal disease that is especially devastating in what it does to one's body. And on December 30th, she got to go home to be with Jesus. We can feel the grief of Rod and his family even though we're halfway across the world. And we can also feel the joy of a dear sister that finally got to go be with Jesus. Fellowship is something that should be one of the most impressive things to our guest, to anyone who comes to our assemblies. They think, behold how they love one another. What kind of performance review would God give you in the area of encouraging deeper, greater fellowship? What kind of performance review would God give Westside? Every congregation thinks it's friendly. Every congregation thinks that there's a good sense of unity. But how do others who are on the outside looking in see things most of all how does God next Sunday morning Lord willing we'll continue to look at the book of Acts and why the early church grew but it's going to be hard to top what we've looked at this morning their emphasis on Christ and his resurrection, their emphasis on proclamation of the gospel, and their emphasis on true fellowship and brotherly love. We'll look at four more report cards next Sunday morning, Lord willing. If you're not a Christian, you have the opportunity to make a new start in a new year. You can respond to the grace of God through Jesus by repenting of your sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, just like Acts 2 spoke of. We killed Jesus. God raised Jesus. We can be forgiven, and forgiven people can praise God and rejoice for what's been done in Jesus. For those of us who are Christians, 
I pray that the next 360 plus days of this year, if we are a privilege to see those days, will be days where we emphasize Christ and his resurrection, Christ and his proclamation, Christ and his fellowship. Will the church please say amen if you agree with that? Amen. Amen. Let us stand and sing.